Well, we are in week five. Week five of Explore God. And we have asked some incredibly big, important questions. And you know, if you think back over the last few weeks, it's started with this very meaningful question about purpose. And, and we said that, yes, we have a purpose, but only if we recognize God's purpose for our lives. That's the real meaning of life. But then we ask, well, you know, very meaningful question, is there God? So two very meaningful questions. But if there's a God, we ask this troubling question of, you know, why does he allow pain and suffering? And last week, Pastor Tony led us in the discussion of this question. It's just very controversial. We've been looking at questions because questions are important to our faith. We need to ask and answer them. We, not, we need not to ignore them, but to engage them. And so we're going to look at another very big and important question today, and that is, is Jesus really God? Let's see some answers. Watch this. I'd like to think Jesus is a great person. Uh, I just, I, it's, a, it's to me, it's a silly story. It's idolization, basically. The idea that there's a human being that can be viewed as a God. I, I, I believe it, that uh, the teachings of Jesus, uh, they ring true to me. This the way, it makes sense to live that way. Jesus, I believe, was a liberal. And I think looking at where we're going, I think he'd be happy to see that people are becoming more and more accepting. I think I'm, I grow more curious about that every day um, uh, and, and how I can be a better person, um, maybe by following his teachings. And, and maybe it will be a, a fit for me and maybe it won't. But, you know, I'll, I have a lifetime to figure that out. So, is Jesus really God? If you've been around church for any length of time, you probably already have an answer. I'm guessing you'd say yes. I mean, after all, at Christmas time, what do we say? Emmanuel, God with us. It's Jesus as God. But as you saw in the video, not everyone answers the question that way. Some people dismiss Jesus completely. Others just place him in the category of a great moral teacher. Let me tell you, this question is so profound. In fact, if indeed Jesus is God, it changes everything about our lives. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we feel, what we believe in our hearts. It changes the way we live. Because Jesus is showing us God's heart for a relationship. That he desires to be in relationship with us, his creation. And he's placing a claim on you and on me. If Jesus came and he is indeed who he says he is, that he's the son of God and man all in one person, it tells us that God, is, he's not going to be stopped. He's going to do whatever it takes to communicate to us his love and grace, to remind us that he did not come to judge, but he came to save. So we're going to look at that question Today and, and again, you may already know the answer, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing that you at one point have asked yourself the question, is Jesus really who he says he is? And you know people who are asking that question. So let's look at a story, and I'm going to just read this story to you. I, I want to I take it apart a little bit later on in the message, but just 
Listen for the question at the end of this story. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Here's the question. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this guy? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, it's fair that the disciples would have the question. Because Jesus' ministry, the timeline of his ministry, he just started this this ministry. He's done some teaching. They've seen some miracles. But this is early on in the time that Jesus and the disciples shared together. And so it's completely normal that they would ask the question. You see, here's what we see happening now in in the lives of the disciples. From this point forward, they are answering that question. They're with Jesus, and they're experiencing things with Jesus. And as they they experience those things, their attitudes, their ideas, their minds are shaped, and they come to a realization and understanding that Jesus is more than a man, that he's actually God. So all of us are on that journey, someplace on that journey. Let Let me just show you what the church decided Just 20 years later, just 20 years later. I mean, this is pre-resurrection, you know, so they didn't have that to to look at like we do. But 20 years later, after the resurrection, here's a hymn that's recorded in the the first chapter of Colossians. And and I'm going to read it to you. You decide what the early church thought about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what do you think? Did the early church, 20 years after the resurrection, believe that Jesus was God? I think the answer is unequivocally yes. I mean, they saw him as the image of the invisible God, the creator of all things, that all things were made made through him, for him, that he holds it all together. That he's he's the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the the first human being to conquer death, which gives us great hope. He had the fullness of God dwelling in him. And he alone was able to reconcile us with God the Father, to remove the problem of sin. And so the the disciples, the early disciples, they went on a journey. They, They discovered Step by step, 
And it grew in their minds, their understanding. It was revealed to them. They had a fuller and a more complete revelation of who God was, is, and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's the task for us today, is to consider that to understand that. And even if we've confessed it and believe it, to be encouraged this morning by the realities that God became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's go back and go on the journey with the disciples. Just a snippet of time out of the Gospels because all the Gospels are written for us so that we might understand and answer this very most important question. Who is Jesus? Is he really God? So let's go back to Mark chapter 4. What was happening the day of? Jesus was teaching. He was teaching, uh, and he was in the front of a boat. He kind of had to get away from the crowds, and he's out teaching all day long about the kingdom of God. You can read it in Mark chapter 4. He teaches all day long, and he's pretty tired at the end of the day. And, And they decide to leave and to go across the lake. Scripture says it this way. It says, leaving the crowd behind him, they took him, Jesus, along, just as he was in the boat. You know, no bathroom break for Jesus. Like, Jesus, we're leaving. We're out of here. Let's go. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. You may not know this about the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet below sea level, surrounded by 9,000 feet elevation of mountains. And so every once in a while, these incredible storms come ripping down because the wind comes down out of the mountains and creates these squalls, and actually the Greek word here is hurricane. And that's exactly what happened. While Jesus and the the disciples are heading across the Sea of Galilee, this storm starts, and it's an incredible storm. You remember, these these are seasoned fishermen, some of these guys. They've seen this before, and they're worried. And what was Jesus doing? Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. Do you know this is the only time in Scripture where God is recorded sleeping? Zit. In fact, Psalm 121.4 says he never sleeps in slumbers. And so, you know, the the disciples were sitting there going, wait a minute, if this is God and he's sleeping, can he really be God? Right? It would have created some tension in their hearts. It's like some fear and some anxiety there. And so what do they do? They, they say, okay, so we got to wake him up because we're going to drown. We're going to die. Remember, they were seasoned fishermen. So they were afraid it was a bad storm. And so they said, teacher, teacher, please, don't you care if we drown? I mean, we're, we're going to die out here. Now, notice they didn't call him God. They didn't say son of God. They said teacher. And so they're, they're wrestling and they're trying to figure out, you know, who is this guy? And so they say, teacher, because they'd seen him teach all day long. And, and said, you brought us out here. You got us out in the middle of the lake. What are we going to do? We're going to die if you don't do something. Maybe you've got a plan. And what came next is shocking. I mean, you, we read through it. We blow through these words. When we read stuff like this, we take it for granted. But this is an amazing miracle, what happens next. Jesus, what he does is he simply says three words. Quiet, be still. And that raging Sea of Galilee becomes like a, like a sheet of glass. Completely calm, absolutely calm, with three simple words. Okay, so now the disciples are going, whoa. 
How did that happen? Who is this guy? Remember, they have only seen a few miracles. They've never seen anything as, as crazy and magnificent as what just happened. You know that weather scares us? Do you, do you know that? I mean, that's one of our big fears, right? You know that. I mean, what happened two weeks ago? What's this called? Polar vortex. Is there anything more ominous sounding than polar vortex? I mean, you don't want to get lost in the vortex, do you, right? I mean, you know, 27 below. It scares us. It scares us. In fact, I know that. If you didn't, if you didn't know that it scares people, you should have been with me at Jewel on Tuesday. <laughs> the mounds of food in people's carts, it was crazy. People thought they were going to be locked up for days. That life was going to be, you know, end as we know it. They were provisioning for the end times. I don't know what was going on, but we, it, it frightens us. Weather scares us. And it scared the disciples, too. And what was, what was so amazing is that Jesus was able to say just with three words, quiet, be still, and everything changed. Now, I love, I have a, I have a little children's Bible that, I, I read to kids occasionally. It's called Jesus' Storybook Bible. Here's, here's what it says about this event. I love this. It says, The wind and waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we know that Jesus, everything was created, what? Through him and for him. And so he spoke it into existence. And so, yeah, the seas calmed. The waves, the wind stopped. Because they knew his voice. They understood that voice. And you would think that the disciples at that point, what would they be like? Woohoo, we've been saved. I mean, it's party time in the boat, right? That's not what happened. I want you to think about this. You, they, would, they should be happy now. They were afraid in the middle of the storm, and now they're looking at this. What's their reaction? They were terrified. <laughs> Why? They were terrified. Why? Because, because they realized that God was in the boat. He's there with them in the boat. And they, they are worried because when you are in the presence of a holy God and you don't understand the reality that he's there to save, not condemn, it can be quite disconcerting to be in the presence of of a holy God, especially as sinful human beings. So they were, they were terrified, and, and they, they didn't know what to do or what to say. They hadn't come to the realization yet that he's God, and then now they are seeing it, and they're going, whoa, he's God, and what does that mean for us? If his voice, if his voice can calm the wind and the waves, what does his voice mean for my life? There are implications about the way I think what I believe, and how I live. So the question for you today is, how do you react? How do you react when you realize that God is in your boat? He's in your life. He's in this world. Well, people react different ways. If you listen to the video, some people reject him completely. They say he's a fairy tale. They don't want anything to do with him. Some people say, well, I'll just wait and figure it all out. God wants to take everyone on a journey that they can understand that he is here not to condemn, not to judge, but to save. But until people grasp this idea, well, it's easy to be terrified of God. 
And so the disciples demonstrated that. And what's so crazy about the way this story unfolds is what happens next. Now that the, the waves are gone and they're continuing on their journey, the first place they go when they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee is a place where there is a demon-possessed man. A guy who, who couldn't be held by chains, who would break chains because he was so demon-possessed. And, and, and people left him alone, you know, out in the caves. And, and you know, he cut himself and he was, he was destroying himself. He was, he was so possessed. Jesus gets out of the boat and starts walking towards this man. And guess who answers the question of who Jesus is? The demon-possessed man. He says at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? A demon-possessed man answers the question. Makes sense totally. Those demons recognized Jesus' voice. Because you remember, demons are fallen angels, angels created by God, who rebelled. They knew immediately who's, who he was. And you, know, you think about it, not only did the demon answer the question, then Jesus answers the question by exercising again his authority with his voice. And he cast those demons. Legion was the name of the demon. A whole military division of demons were possessing this man, and they were thrown out, cast out by Jesus' voice. Yeah, they were recognized it. Now, you would think that the, the people in that little community would be celebrating, right? The man had been restored, and guess what? You know what they said to Jesus after that? They begged him to leave. Why? Well, because if you don't know that Jesus is here not to judge but to save, if you think Jesus is, is God and he's holy God and he's here to punish you, you don't want to have anything to do with him. So Jesus leaves, gets back in the boat, heads back across the Sea of Galilee. So interesting. He gets to the other side. He lands, and he runs across this woman who has this medical problem that's plagued her for years and years and years. And she, in faith, reaches out to Jesus and says, if I touch even his garments, I'm going to be made well. And she is. Jesus is actually on her way at that point. He's on his way to be with a family who has an ailing daughter. Father had pleaded with him, please come and heal my daughter. He gets there. The daughter is dead. And he walks in and he speaks to death. And immediately she stands up. And immediately everyone is amazed. I want you to think about those few short hours in the lives of the disciples. They go from hearing that in fact Jesus and seeing in fact that he has authority over nature. He has authority over evil. He has authority over sickness, and yes, he has authority even over death. You see how the disciples' minds would have been shaped and, and, and how they were it was revealed to them who Jesus really is. He did it through his miracles. And that's why those miracles are given to us. That's why they're recorded in the Gospels. So that we can understand that Jesus is God, the person who made everything, has authority over everything. He can speak and command, and everything will obey. You know, Scripture tells us this. We go to John 10. He says that the Jews, they were, they were gathering around, and they were saying, hey, you know, don't, don't be so, you know, 
Don't keep us in suspense. I mean, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And Jesus says, hey, I've taught you that. I've taught you that. I've told you that. And, and I, said, I did tell you, you didn't believe, but the works in, that I do in my Father's name testify about me. The miracles that Jesus does. Then later on in John, it's recorded, he says, you know, Jesus performed many other signs that the disciples got to see. So they got to see all of them, but some of them would be recorded in this book and the other books, the other Gospels. These are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in them, you may have life in his name. Because once we realize who Jesus is, once we grasp, once we get it that he's God and he can speak and things change, he has authority and can command even death to depart us, that we can live forever. We'll die here, but we'll live forever. It changes the way we think and believe and act. Just yesterday I was with a a member of Trinity who's in hospice, unconscious. And as I sat there next to him, just the two of us, what, what do I say to him? I mean, what do you say to somebody who's dying? He's unconscious. And so I told him that Jesus loved him. I told him that Jesus came not to judge him, but to save him, and that he'd be welcomed soon into heaven. And you could just see the physical reaction. He's unconscious, but you could see him move. We said the Lord's Prayer together. There is no, no information that's more precious than to know that Jesus is God, especially when you get to that moment. Nothing makes any other difference than that. Don't wait your whole lifetime to figure that out. Because you don't know when your lifetime ends. And people say, well, yeah, Dan, you're just quoting the Bible can I really trust the Bible? The answer is, well, come back next week. That's the question. Can I trust the Bible? Is it really reliable? We'll talk about it. The answer is yes. But we'll continue that discussion next week. So we have the miracles. Very important. Evidence of Jesus being God. We also have his teaching. People loved his teaching. This is Jesus teaching. Uh, he was teaching the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and he's kind of reframing the Ten Commandments. And people say, hey, he has... He teaches with one who has authority, not like their other teachers. When people look at Jesus and his teaching on morality, that's what he was doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He was kind of reframing all the Ten Commandments, and he was doing that. He's saying, hey, if you even think about or you're angry at a person, you're guilty of murder. I mean, really helping people to see what the standard is. And they were amazed. And people often look, and like you heard in the video, they say, oh, he's a good teacher. Oh, he's such a good teacher. We can model our lives, and we learn so much from Jesus. But what did Jesus teach? What did he really teach? Well, he taught that he was God. And people say he didn't, but he did. Look at this passage. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what the religious leaders did? They picked up stones to kill him. Why? He just claimed to be God. Maybe you don't recognize it. The I am statement there. Before Abraham, I am. Jesus wasn't even 50 years old. How could he have been before Abraham? He's claiming to be God. The I am statement is what, what Moses heard from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses asked, who should I tell the Israelites is sending me to lead them out of Egypt? And God said from the burning bush, Tell them that I am 
sent me. There are 23 of these statements in the New Testament where Jesus uses the I am statement to identify himself as God. He taught he was God. And he was almost stoned for it. He would ultimately hang on a cross for it. We see that in this passage from John where the Jewish opponents, they, they pick up stones to stone him again. This is a different occurrence. And, and Jesus says to them, look, I've shown you good works from the Father. Which of these do you stone me for? He says, oh, we're not stoning you for any of those good works. They replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, we cannot leave Jesus in the category of a moral teacher. He never taught that. Never. Such, such a fallacy to do so. He's so much more than that. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, I'm trying here in mere Christianity, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be a crazy man or an incredible liar. And Lewis goes on to say this. He says, either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And his teaching is the second reason why we can know that he's God. He claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis answers it in the same way. He says, now, he says, it's obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. This is what Jesus taught. If you study the Bible, the problem with many of the opinions of people uh, that, that talk about Jesus is they never looked at the Bible. They never really studied it. But see, it's a journey for all of us as we grow in our understanding of who he is. We understand that. I mean, it's a journey. It was a journey for the disciples. It's a journey for each one of us. We have questions. We have doubts. That's what this series is all about. Let's answer those doubts with the best information that we have available. And let's look at, look at this honestly and openly. And, 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 you know, here's the last important point about why we can believe Jesus is God. It's the resurrection. Jesus, not only did he raise people from the dead, he spoke to death, and, and listen, he himself conquered it and came back from the dead and is the firstborn from the dead and gives, gives us this picture of what our lives will be someday. But you know, it's so funny because there was one disciple who didn't believe that even after it happened. So if you think it's wrong to have doubts, take it up with Thomas. Because Thomas had, had, to, had to stick his fingers in the side of Jesus' body before he would declare finally that he's God and Lord. That's what Jesus said. He said, you know, come on, G uh, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. But Thomas, at that point, that was it. He said, that's it. He said, my Lord and my God. He believed. You know what? We, we could do a whole series just on the evidence for the resurrection. And I know we don't have time for that today. 
But if you have questions about the, the actual resurrection, the historical basis, the understanding of the evidence for the resurrection, there's a place in the back of your Connect card. If you put a box on the check mark, I'll send you a page. You can continue your investigation. There's plenty of evidence to support this idea of the resurrection, that Jesus is God. You know, uh, so much of the time that when we talk to people, they're afraid of God, they won't admit it. They don't want to consider that Jesus is God, and so they, they push him away. They make him less than what he is because they understand what we started with is that if it's true, it means he's got a claim on our lives. He wants to change your thinking. He wants to change your heart and your beliefs, and he wants to change the way you live. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that Jesus came, that he gave his only son. What does John 3.17 say? It says that he came not to condemn, not to judge, but to do what? To save. You see, we couldn't accept that message unless it was given to us by somebody we could relate to. And that's why Jesus had to come. See, God, only God can save us, but only Jesus can tell us that he loves us as a human being. Watch this. I heard a story once about a soldier who had served in Vietnam. There was a group of prisoners who were taken hostage and put in a prison camp where they were not just physically tortured, but they were mentally tortured. And so there would be various false raids where they feel like they were being set free, but it would turn out that it was only their oppressors who were trying to destroy their hope. So one day, a group of uh, US Marines were tagged with the operation to rescue these prisoners of war. And so they broke in and they, they found the prisoners on the floor and they were beaten, they were psychologically tormented, but they had a problem. Even though they were there to save them, the prisoners wouldn't trust the liberating force. And so one soldier in a moment of genius and compassion realized what he had to do. So he took off his military uniform and stripped himself down like those prisoners were, laid on the floor in the fetal position and just looked them in the eye so that they could see that he was actually one of them. And after they saw that he was one of them, that he had come to rescue them, they were able to trust him and they got dressed and he was able to lead them to safety. And in many ways, this is why I think we can trust Jesus. Jesus claims to be God, but he stripped away all of his power. He stripped away all of the things that may cause us to fear him. And he came down as a human being to look us in the eye when we feel like we can't trust anybody, to say, I know you, I see you, I know what you're going through, trust me. I can lead you out to the life that you long for. We're desperate to be known, we're desperate to be loved, we're desperate to matter, we're desperate um, to, to live a life of meaning, but who do we trust? And when I heard that, I felt like even in my own heart, I can trust Jesus to lead me to the path of life. Our culture is desperate to be loved, desperate to live life, a life of purpose. And Jesus has come. He's laid down his life He's looked us in the eyes as a human being. He said, I love you. You can trust me. It's a journey that we're all on to know and live in the reality that Jesus is God, that he has a claim on our lives. It's a question that 
Jesus later on would ask his disciples, who do you say I am? That is the question for all of us this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? It changes everything how you answer. Peter answered it this way. He said simply, you are Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Peter had the advantage of all those years with Jesus. We have the advantage of his word in this church and the teachings of the Bible at work in our lives. I pray that you, wherever you are, wherever you are in your understanding, that you would continue on that journey asking great questions, hard questions, difficult questions, so that this could be your declaration as well. Let's pray together.